Hello and welcome to this episode of STATS, the podcast where we share the accomplishments of the Department of Surgery at Baylor Scott & White Medical Center in Temple, Texas. I'm your host, Dr. Lonnie Gentry. The STATS podcast is sponsored by Dr. Harry Papa Constantino, the chair of the Department of Surgery. In this episode, we continue our series on the most common surgical procedures done in the United States. Our goal is to explain to the average person what to expect when such a procedure is considered or recommended. Along the way, we will identify reasons for the procedure, what happens during the procedure, and what to expect following the procedure. My guest for today's podcast is Dr. Samuel Lance. Dr. Lance is a plastic surgeon and has been at Baylor Scott & White in Temple for one year. Our topic is breast augmentation. Dr. Lance, thanks for joining me today. Dr. Gentry, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So, is breast augmentation a common surgery? I'm glad that you mentioned that, and along the lines of most common surgeries, breast augmentation is actually one of the most common cosmetic plastic surgery procedures performed in America. In fact, in 2022, we saw a 19% increase in the number of breast augmentations in the U.S., bringing that number to about 300,000 cases of breast augmentation a year. To kind of put that in perspective, that means that about one in every 40 women in America has breast augmentation and a very, very common surgery that we perform within plastic surgery. What are some of the reasons women pursue breast augmentation? Well, Dr. Gentry, there's a whole host of reasons, and I always say the best reason is the reason that's right for that patient. And when we look at the most common reasons, it's really to restore breast volume, and that can be for various reasons, one being loss of volume after pregnancy and breastfeeding, some being the loss of volume that was natural to that woman. Um, Some women are just born with smaller breasts than others. There are even some less common reasons that women pursue breast augmentation, and those are things like breast reconstruction in the setting of breast cancer or in the setting of significant breast asymmetry. Most women pursue breast augmentation as a desire to either restore the volume that they had before or to bring them to a volume that they feel more comfortable with or uh, feel that fits their body better. We're even seeing an increase in the older population of women 50 and up that are seeking breast augmentation as a way to restore their volume even in the later years of life. I think this is a great procedure to improve a woman's self-esteem and really bring her to uh, where she feels uh, she wants to be. If someone's considering breast augmentation, how should they proceed? What are the steps involved in finding the right doctor and making an appointment? Well, thank you for asking that question. I think the most important thing is the physician-patient relationship. With any procedure, any surgical procedure, that relationship is the key to success. And I think that especially in the setting of cosmetic surgery, it is critical that there be a longstanding and positive physician-patient relationship. As a patient goes through looking for a surgeon to perform their breast augmentation, I think that going through multiple avenues is good. Starting online is a good place to start, but the most important aspect is looking for a board-certified plastic surgeon. Now, there are a lot of people that perform breast augmentation, but not all of them are board-certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery. So I feel that one of the key components is ensuring that they are board-certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery and that we're not only relying on social media or web-based information, but that we are connecting with that surgeon and understanding their work, um, either from people who have had surgery by them or people who know them 
directly. The most secure way of ensuring that you're going to get a surgeon that knows what they're doing is to have seen their work through people that you know or have received direct feedback regarding uh, their work. At Scott & White, when we're looking at breast augmentation, any patient is welcome to reach out to our cosmetic surgery center through our cosmetic line, and that can be found online. And that's a direct way to do it, um, to get an opinion from us and kind of see what the options are here. Mm -hmm. What can patients expect during and after the surgery in terms of recovery and results? I think the key is to understand that it is a surgical procedure. It is a surgical procedure that is generally done under a general anesthetic. And so that is an anesthesia where the patient is asleep and then wakes up after the procedure. Results will vary. Um, As as you know, with every procedure, especially uh, within the cosmetic surgery realm, there are variations in body habitus. There are variations in how uh, someone begins with the shape of their breast, the contours of their breast. And that will dramatically affect the outcome of the surgery. For the most part, the surgery itself is relatively straightforward. Incisions are usually made under the crease, the fold underneath the breast. That's the most common way of entry or around the areola. And that's where we're able to gain access to the pocket to be able to place the implants. Once the implants are in, the recovery process is fairly straightforward. Typical use of a supportive bra for a few weeks afterwards and then a period of uh, just limited activity. A pain is relatively well controlled after a breast augmentation, and typically over-the-counter pain medications are used along with a short duration of medical prescription pain medicines. But the recovery for most women puts them back in business, back to doing their normal activities within about four to six weeks afterwards. What makes a breast augmentation surgery successful? Success is sort of a loaded term, and I think success depends a lot upon that physician-patient relationship. The goal for me when I'm doing a breast augmentation is to achieve the patient's objectives as best as we can. A successful surgery is a surgery that is able to clearly achieve the objectives that we set out to do as a patient and physician. I think a successful breast augmentation is one that brings the patient to that level of fullness and shape that they're looking for uh, with the breast augmentation. As I mentioned before, the goal for a lot of women with breast augmentation is to restore the volume that they had either lost or to bring them to a volume that they feel more comfortable with. If we are able to achieve that in a reasonable manner, that to me is a successful surgery. It's a surgery with no complications and a uh, outcome that the patient is satisfied with. What are some of the potential risks or complications associated with breast augmentation surgery? Well, Dr. Gentry, as with any surgery, there's always the risk of complication. Now, to put that in perspective, the risk with breast augmentation are very low. These risks are usually dealing with things like infection or bleeding around the implant, and those are exceedingly rare. If these do occur, They're usually treated with either antibiotics or with a short return to the operating room. Those are typically the more short-term complications. Longer-term complications can be some subtle asymmetries, um, and that is probably overall the most common risk or complication with breast augmentation. That comes more from the perspective of where the patient is beginning. If a breast is asymmetric to begin with, 
then there is a decent chance that there will be some asymmetries afterwards. We do as much as we can to revise those asymmetries and avoid them, but sometimes subtle asymmetries are unavoidable. For the most part, however, breast augmentation is a relatively low-risk procedure with few complications. In the long term, if there's an issue with implant rupture or an issue with something we refer to as capsular contracture, those can be longer-term complications usually occurring decades after the initial procedure, and those also are exceedingly rare. Some of the concerns or misconceptions about the use of silicone implants in breast augmentation? This is a great question and one that has been debated heavily over the past 30 Mm -hmm. years or so. Um, In the middle part of the 1970s and 1980s, there was a lot of concern about the use of silicone, not only in breast augmentation implants, but in many medical implants. Within that time, uh, the FDA and multiple groups that did an extensive amount of scientific research looked into the safety of silicone implants within breast augmentation. And over the past three decades, what we've been able to ascertain is that silicone breast augmentation is safe and there are no identifiable ill effects long-term of silicone breast augmentation. The data has been so convincing uh, that the FDA has overturned their prior concerns and now there is a clear FDA approval for silicone breast augmentation. If we look at the trends now in America, the majority of breast augmentation performed electively and in the setting of cancer is performed with silicone breast implants. There are, again, no, no data to suggest that they are unsafe and much supporting data showing the safety and the more natural appearance and efficacy of getting a breast augmentation with silicone breast implants. So again, a long answer, but I think it's been through a lot of debate over the years and a lot of rigorous scientific evaluation coming to the conclusion that they are safe and effective. And as I mentioned, now one of the most common ways of performing breast augmentation. I remember when that was in the news. It was quite the stories for a while, but it's gone away. You don't hear about it at all anymore. Absolutely. And with it, there still carry some misconceptions and sort of uh, outdated information about silicone breast augmentation and how that is affected, not only from a safety perspective, but also from a perspective of the aesthetics or cosmetics of a silicone breast implant. I think one of the more common questions I get in the office is, do silicone breast implants feel unnatural? This comes from, again, silicone breast implants in the 1980s and 90s that were created sometimes in a way that didn't accurately replicate the feel and texture of natural tissue. We have come through multiple generations of breast implants, and even the formulation of silicone and the shell surrounding the implants have come a long way since those times. Um, The silicone now in most silicone breast implants is what we refer to as cohesive silicone gel. And this is a type of gel that mimics the natural breast tissue quite accurately. It moves more naturally with the patient and feels softer and more comfortable. I think some of the other concerns are that um, beyond the safety is that you have to replace breast implants over time. And that replacement question is actually um, not something that is absolutely required. Now, surveillance or making sure that we're monitoring breast implants to ensure that we have not ruptured the breast implant is something that has to be done over time with any implant, whether it be saline or silicone. 
However, the need for absolute replacement is not something that has to be done with every breast augmentation, even in the setting of silicone. So there is a misconception that breast augmentation is almost always for a larger breast. Can you address that? That's a great question, too. This is, again, something that's a tie over from the 1970s and 1980s, where the style of breast augmentation was definitely a larger breast augmentation. And to house or to be able to accommodate a silicone breast implant that was oftentimes very firm back in those days, a woman would do better if she began with a larger breast and was getting a silicone breast augmentation simply because the texture of the implant would be more natural if there was a significant amount of natural breast tissue to cover that implant. Now, that does not hold true with the current modern implants. And in fact, many women who have much smaller breasts prefer silicone breast augmentation simply because there are less issues with rippling or a feeling of a water balloon texture within the implant as compared to a saline breast implant. What about financial considerations? Will insurance cover breast augmentation? That's a great question. And with most cosmetic surgery, this is not considered an insurance-covered benefit. The reason is, is that insurance companies are looking to treat medical problems and medical conditions. Cosmetic surgery and breast augmentation in the cosmetic elective setting is usually, uh, I would say, almost never covered by insurance. Um, however, it is fairly affordable looking at the spectrum of plastic surgery procedures. Breast augmentation is a relatively cost-effective cosmetic procedure, um, even when compared to things like a tummy tuck or liposuction, it is a very effective way of getting cosmetic surgery through a cash pay um, type modality. There are a few rare circumstances in which insurance does cover breast augmentation, and those are typically centered around things like breast cancer reconstruction. In the setting of breast cancer reconstruction, that would be covered mm -hmm. by insurance. But again, this is different from an elective breast augmentation. One other rare circumstance, especially within the pediatric population, is for significant breast asymmetry. Mm -hmm. If the breasts are significantly asymmetric, and this would require an exam by a board-certified plastic surgeon, if that can be made, there is a significant amount of asymmetry that is congenital or meaning has been with the woman since birth or throughout her pubertal period, then this is something that could potentially be covered by insurance. But for the most part, elective cosmetic breast augmentation is considered a cosmetic surgery um, that is paid by the patient. Mm -hmm. What other misconceptions about the surgery would you like to address? You know, I think there are some misconceptions that in much part are perpetuated by social media. Um, social media is a great tool. It provides great information and is a good first step for many patients who are seeking cosmetic surgery or breast augmentation. It gives them a chance to kind of see what they're looking for and really get a handle on the market. I think one of the key problems with social media is generating unrealistic expectations. Mm -hmm. As you know, there is a belief that a certain look and breast augmentation is achievable or straightforward simply because someone else has gotten that outcome. I think the misconception there is, is that every person is different and every person's breasts are different. In fact, I rarely see two women that have the exact same appearance to their breast. And so being able to achieve the exact same outcome as someone else 
simply by doing a breast augmentation is I think one of the key misunderstandings. Every woman is different and every outcome is different. I think each woman can still achieve a very nice and attractive result from breast augmentation. It's just going to be a little different than what you see. I think one of the other ones is sort of a one-size-fits-all. Um, I have many patients that come to me that um, saw, whether on social media or one of their um, friends or family that had gotten a breast augmentation and say, well, they have this size with this profile implant. I like exactly the same thing as them. And the one-size-fits-all sort of protocol doesn't exactly work with every single patient. And I encourage patients to kind of look at it as something that should be tailored to them. And so um, looking through our different options and trying to find the best option that satisfies their result is, I think, the best path forward. Um, The other one is sort of an oversimplification of recovery. When we're talking about recovery, many times on social media, uh, we hear of the rapid recovery or I was back to work the next day. And I think the key there is kind of what we mentioned before is that this is a surgical procedure and that there is a lot involved in the recovery from a surgical procedure. Now, relatively speaking, this is a easy recovery for the most part, and most women are back doing all of their relatively normal day-to-day activities within a day or two, and then back to desk work or um, light housework and other general activities within about two weeks after surgery. However, there is a recovery period, and that goes um, without saying. The last is sort of the stigmatization, and I think especially within certain cultures or demographics, there is a stigmatization of breast augmentation or cosmetic surgery in general. And I think I mentioned this one in particular because it's important to note that the way a woman feels is incredibly powerful in establishing her self-esteem and her ability um, to fit in the clothes she wants to fit in and to feel whole as a woman. And I think that if breast augmentation is a pathway to achieving that mode of self-satisfaction and being able to get to where she wants to be, then I think there is definitely a role for that in that woman's life. Many times we feel that cosmetic surgery is something that is superfluous or unnecessary. Uh, And I think it's one of those things, it's as simple as I go to the gym, I work out because I want to be able to stay fit. It's in a similar process if a woman has a goal she wishes to achieve and breast augmentation is a pathway towards that goal, then we're here to help. Dr. Lance, thanks so much for talking with me today. I wish you the best in your work. Dr. Gentry, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure being here today. That concludes this episode of Stats. Be on the lookout for the next episode of Sharing the Accomplishments of Temple Surgery.